Welcome to the Henrik Stenson Almost an Hour podcast. I'm going to try to see if I can squeeze a few extra minutes out of the Iceman. Jeff Newbarth and Henrik Stenson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I never know where you are. Uh, I'm in the southwest corner of Sweden, and we are nine hours ahead of you, so it's uh, kind of good good evening almost. Good morning to you. All right. Well, I think the appropriate greeting is Hage Hermordu. Hey, Hermordu. Jag mår bra, tack. Yeah, I give you, I give you at least uh, seven out of ten for that effort. Seven out of ten. Well, that's that's better than most. Yeah, well, we absolutely. hope you're enjoying. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the first episode of this podcast, and thank you to everybody who subscribed, rated, and review. I was just telling Henrik, every single person who reviewed us on Apple iTunes gave us five out of five stars, and immediately your comment to me was, "They probably listened to those." Five minutes on the back end of the hour. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Well, let's try not to let's try not to screw this up, and let's try to see if we can keep a, uh, a five <laughs> keep out a of five, five star rating. Um, rating. Yeah, but seriously, everybody, please subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate it. We're going to be doing this every other week, um, even when you're playing, and that's what's going to be really exciting. Uh, I would like to try to do the podcast while you're playing, but you seem to be against that idea. <laughs> but we'll get to players yeah. and mics in a moment. Lots to talk about. The biggest news, obviously. Golf was back. Colonial ended in a playoff with Daniel Berger beating Colin Morikawa. What did you think? What was your top takeaway uh, from Colonial? Obviously, uh, great to see the guys back playing again. Uh, I watched uh, I watched it in the evenings here in Sweden for a bit, and uh, yeah, exciting finish. Obviously, it was really packed up uh, leaderboard. A lot of big names uh, who were up there, and. Um, yeah, it came down to the to the last couple of holes and to the last couple of putts, and uh, yeah, well done to Daniel for for getting his third PGA Tour victory. So let's let's go into this a little bit. One of the the early storylines of the week was players reacting to shots that they hit that were excellent with no fans. The first one I saw was right off the bat, Justin Thomas, I believe, on the second hole, almost holes out from the fairway and immediately turns and starts waving to the crowd, tipping the hat and whatever. How would Henrik Stenson have reacted um, to a great shot with no fans? Because you're so emotional out there anyway. Everyone always sees that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it wouldn't be any difference, would it? It's... Uh... Um, you know, you hope you're going to hit good shots and when you do, you kind of expect it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know for me if it would have been uh, a huge difference. Uh, I think the the whole atmosphere, it's hard for me now since I didn't play to to give exact feedback on, on how it would feel. But, uh, of course, uh, it would be a big difference on the Saturday and Sunday in particular. When you got the 7.30 tee off on Thursday morning off the 10th, it's normally not... Uh, that many people around in the beginning, at least, uh, even if you're in the featured groups, it's it's kind of a slow start to the week, and then it work you it works itself up from there. But uh, certainly, teeing off late on a Saturday and Sunday, you expect a bit of bit of bust when you're teeing off and and coming in on the back nine for sure. And you could hear the the roars and the and the good stuff that some of your opponents are making on other holes. So yeah, it would it would be different for sure, but. I think it's it's still a a small price to pay for for us getting going again and and especially for the for the TV viewers to to have live golf to watch again. Gary Woodland on seventeen hit a shot that flew the green, um, and normally there would have been a gallery there, 
and and the ball would stop much closer to the hole um, than it did with no one there. Is that something you think that that's going to be an issue over the next four or five weeks that they have no fans? Is that something that that you? I mean, like, do you ever sit there in the middle of the fairway going like, well, I'm between two clubs. If I go long, there's like a thousand people there. They'll stop the ball. No, I don't want to hit it over the green with or without people. That's for sure. And I don't think uh, Gary uh, Gary tried to do that either. I think it was. Uh, I mean. Again, I think the the biggest difference would be, and I saw that being mentioned a little bit, is uh, if you hit a wide one, of course, if you got 50 or 100 people up there on the left-hand side, it's a bigger chance of you finding the ball. I think you you might have the odd player lose a a golf ball or two over these couple of weeks that you might have gotten away with. But, I mean, you can look at it. You shouldn't be there in the first place. So if you're airmailing greens or or hitting it 30 yards offline, you're just going to pay maybe a little bit more of a price, but it's, it's certainly not not something that comes in in terms of tactics uh, that, that you would use the the crowd. That, that's just a consequence of a lot of people being around normally when we play. All right, two key moments in yesterday's uh, tournament or or in this week's this past week's tournament, uh, both on the 17th green. Xander Shoffley and Colin Mar Colin Marikawa both missing shorts, but Xander's I don't know how that missed. I mean that was in out around. Everybody's making the horrible horseshoe jokes. I don't want to make that joke because it's not funny. Um, and then Colin in the playoff. What, what, what's your take on that? I mean, gosh, those are just little three footers. That I mean, Xander's was literally the ball was all the way in the hole. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. That's uh, that's part of it. I mean, you can hit the most perfect part, and it's still. Still, kind of lips out, um, and yeah, I guess you just gotta you just gotta live with it, and and uh, it, it sucks. There's no two ways about it. When when it happens at at the most crucial moments of of the competition, it's uh, it's really painful. And when you've been out there long enough, you've certainly gone through your fair share of those uh, mishaps. And uh, yeah, it's costly, but uh, what to do? That's part of the game, and you just gotta shake it off and on onwards to the next event. What's the difference, though? Tell us, as as amateurs who don't know, what's the difference between that putt, either in a playoff or on the seventy first hole, when you need to make that to stay tied for the lead, versus Thursday, as you said, on on, on in that seven thirty a.m. tee time? Yeah, I think whenever you come down to the to one of those most crucial putts, uh, uh, I mean, there's there's no way that you would you would get a chance to recover if you miss it. A lot of times, that's it's over if you miss a part of that length that late in the round and in such a an important part of the of the competition it's it's going to be costly and uh, i think everyone you know kind of feels that way a little bit um, not overly that you think about it that much because it's still a 340 you got your routine both physically and mentally you go through that but uh, every now and again it might be a, a bad thought crossing your mind or something like that and we all had that happen as well and and if that has has happened i mean the best thing is to step away and kind of start over again you don't want to the the classic one with dog sanders at at the open championship there and that leaf that kind of blows in and he he just bends down and picks it up and and still stays in his setup and then missed that putt for for the open really so um if something of that is going on, yeah, you better you better step out and start over again. It's easier said than done at times, but that's certainly uh, what I found is is the key to to try and break that if if you have a bad uh, bad thought crossing your mind. But um, a lot of times you're making 
99, 99.5% of those putts, but you never know that that 1%, the one out of 100, it might come on the 71st hole, it might come on the 72nd, or it might come on Thursday morning. You just don't know. So that's why you want to treat them all with with the utmost respect and, and do your a proper proper job in, in terms of your routine and and, um, and try and just hit as good parts as, as you can. And yeah, you just got to accept the outcome sometimes. And then Daniel Berger, um, 28 rounds in a row under par, that's second to, to yet one of the millions of records Tiger Woods has, Tiger's over 50. Um, obviously been playing great since October. One of the big things is injury. And I do recall a YouTube video you did with the European tour where the majority of people asked you about recovering back from injury. I think everyone's worried about your physical condition. So I guess first off, I have to ask, are you hurt? Are you healthy? Are you doing okay? No, I even uh, even survived a, a two-hour tennis match here a couple hours ago. Oh, my ago. goodness. So I'm, I'm in pretty good health. Uh, I've been That's been one of the good things with this break. Uh, I've been working out, uh, keeping the cardio work going, and I feel in, in pretty good shape overall. So no injuries here, touch wood. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to when, when I do start up the season again to be uh, in pretty good shape. So, uh, yeah, I mean... Daniel there that many rounds on the par 28 rounds on the par that's uh, that's a great streak uh, obviously a big part of why he won um, if he, if he plays uh, that good golf and uh, has done for for a long time there because we've been off for two and a half months so that streak goes back quite a long ways into last year I, I would imagine then so uh, really good golfing and uh, I think uh, when you when you're looking at at your career out of a bigger perspective, and and I'm sure he would he would agree on that. Uh, going through some tough times, uh, which we all had done on the golf course, ups and downs, and some bigger than others. But when you're coming back from an injury and then to get a win again, I'm sure that makes it feel even even sweeter because of the of the hard times. Uh, I know he's been battling his wrist injury there for a while. So uh, well done to him and. Uh, yeah, it's going to take the the victory tastes even better then. Yeah, plus he gets to wear that cool jacket, the red jacket, the plaid. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, red plaid. It's pretty exciting yeah. stuff. One of the other big storylines this week were microphones. Uh, Ricky Fowler wore one for the first two days, and it was pretty cool getting to see uh, and and hear some of his thoughts and his exchange with his caddy and stuff. So let's let's set the record state straight. When asked by either the European Tour or the PGA Tour, will Henrik Stenson be wearing a microphone? Well, it seemed to be pretty advanced technology, if you could hear his thoughts. Um, we um, can, yes, yes. Yeah. It's a special microphone. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually hear his thoughts when he says them. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I, I see the benefit. I, I totally understand why the fans and, and the viewership wants to wants to to hear it and and it could be a lot of added value in that sense but oh with with the language you know you hit a bad shot so which does happen quite frequently then there's there's a few thoughts and and certainly a few words coming out that you might not want the whole world to know and listen to at the same time so it's a it's a tricky one Uh, it's a it's a tough balance in my mind and uh, i probably for for ease of mind i probably uh, or peace of mind, I should say. I, I probably prefer not to to be mic'd up, but uh, it's certainly a added value to hear those interesting conversations uh, between the player and the and the caddy. And 
you got the club selection with the wind and how you're thinking strategically and uh, uh, yeah it's, it's added value but it's it's added trouble sometimes too so i'm i'm kind of divided on that one all right. Well, one of the things we're going to do on this podcast is we do this every other week is we're going to solve all the problems in the world of golf. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. That, definitely. That's why I signed up for this. Yeah. So so you want to hear the solution to the whole mic issue? Yes. So it's a two-part solution. One, we put the mic on the caddy because I don't want to hear ever that like the piece of equipment, um, whether you know, it, it, it moved in, in, in a backswing or got caught on the belt or did so. I never, ever, ever wanted to impede the player from performing their best. Two, if we put it on the caddy, we'll put an on-off switch. Very simple. Uh, and then the player in the caddy can decide, hey, I'm going to, you know, do something. It could even be the point where as soon as you know you're going to get into your routine to hit, your caddy turns it off to protect yourself from that foul word. But if you curse in Swedish, most people uh, won't understand it unless they speak Swedish. So that'll help in your particular case. Um, and then three, that I think the other way to do it is just like what what they do kind of in, in the NFL here and the NBA, where the audio is not live, it's recorded, it goes back into the truck, and then someone from the league. So in the NBA, they have a, a, a league official, so that this case would require someone from the tour to be back there and kind of approve the audio. And and obviously, I think you you would have it packaged at that point, but it would still be kind of cool because we do want to hear what you guys are, are saying and thinking. But you're right. It's more about the selection and the why and then the reaction to it than it is kind of the funny ha-ha going up and down the fairway. Did we just solve mm. it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Jeff, that was, that was some, some good thinking. Uh, three different uh, parts to a two-part solution. I like that. Um, and a long time, I've been I've been hoping that I was going to have an on and off switch for my caddy. But you're saying this is just for the audio. I can't just switch him off and on. I mean, you probably could, but that would be some type of robotic caddy that you would have to invent. Which who knows? Maybe maybe that's automated caddies is 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 a thing of the future. That, that could happen. I'm sure. I'm sure my caddy Glenn in a, at times would have liked to switch me off as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But <laughs> I do think it's an interesting. Ways. Yeah, but I do think it's an interesting idea because if if you did have it on the caddy, and some people are saying on the bag, but I think it'd be harder to have it on the bag because what if the bag said something, or what if the bag did something that it it was embarrassed about? Then we would we would have no recourse but then to find or suspend the bag, and then the clubs go with it, and then then it just becomes a mess. The bag just shouts Maverick all the time. Yeah, that'd be kind of annoying it after a while. I mean, it'd be, be cool oh. at first, but well, uh, yeah, no, I, I like it, and especially to get the to get the equipment uh, off from the from the player. I think that would be the the best uh, the best way because I mean, no matter how good you make it, I still wouldn't like to have uh, to have the uh, the audio equipment on the back of my belt, and the and the cords got to go somewhere, and and the whole. Yeah the whole thing. So I, I'm all for that part. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you just solved it. I, I didn't feel like I was part of the solution. I, I yeah, just it's it's a team effort. It's, yeah, it's okay. a team effort here. You, Cause here's the thing. I can say stuff and you have to validate it as a, as a major champion. Yeah. Cause I just okay. say stuff so all we, the time we, and no, literally nobody cares. We take the credit together and if it's a bad idea, it's yours. I like this. You, this could go a long way. Interesting. All right. Speaking of something that's going to go a long way, it's time for Ask the Iceman. Uh, we asked on Saturday and Sunday on social media to get questions for you. And uh, sneak peek, there's about to become some type of 
prize if your question is answered on the podcast in weeks coming forward. Did you know about that? I'm going to submit quite a lot of questions to myself, I think, because I want to win some prizes. Interesting. I don't know if that would be against the rules or not, but we'll figure it out. Here's our first one. Michael Brown, and this seems very appropriate right now. Where did your sense of humor come from? And also, who's the funniest caddy on tour? Yeah, I have to say, um, uh, I I give my sense of humor to, uh, I'll I'll take it from my mom. I think she's kind of got similar dry wit. I mean, it's it's pretty much the the Swedish... uh, Sense of humor, I would say, is very uh, similar to the to the British one. It's kind of a dry, sarcastic humor that that seems to be uh, the case for for most people. So I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll give my mom some credit for that one. And then funniest caddies or caddy, I'll I'll I don't really want to single anybody out there, but I'll I, I spent quite a lot of time with uh, with a bunch of the um, of the uh, British caddies. Uh, my former caddy uh, Garrett Lord, and now caddies for uh, for Justin Rose. Uh, you got Billy Foster that caddied for uh, for Lee Westwood for many many years. Uh, Mark Fulcher uh, that used to caddy for for Justin before as well, and Terry Monday, who, who caddies for still caddies for Ian uh, Poulter on on some of the events. Uh, that bunch of guys they they just give each other so much uh, hard time and and. Uh, yeah, they they really got a good sense of humor. So I like hanging out with them, and it's all it's only a matter of seconds before someone cracks up and tells a good joke or does something funny with someone else. So uh, I'll, I'll give those guys a mentioning on that end. See, and if they all wore mics, we'd all get to hear these good jokes. All right, next question, Troy McDonald. This is very technical, so get ready to uh, become a golf instructor for a second. Comment on the new trend: keeping the bent left arm slightly past impact rather than a straight arm. I think he's kind of talking a little bit about what everyone was buzzing about this week. Bryson DeChambeau, uh, also known as the Incredible Hulk, five protein <laughs> shakes a day, hitting the ball, my, I mean, what, 170-yard sand wedges and stuff like this, but his left arm <laughs> is is kind of, you know, bent at impact. What, what do you think about this new trend? Or is it Yeah, I, I haven't, uh, I have to admit, I haven't really seen that that much i mean i i know there's some guys who tend to go that way and i don't know if we're talking full swing or if this is more on pitching i know uh, quite a few guys have been trying in the in the recent years to to kind of work left through impact and and if that could uh, kind of promote that uh, that kind of position with the left arm a little bit I'd, I'm, I'm more old school i should say and and i'll probably prefer it more more straight Straight left arm, I'd say, uh, fully extended. And but you know, in golf, we play so many different types of shots, and and there might be a few of the guys who've been working on certain things, and and they tend to do it. But it's, it's not something I've been really working on myself, or, or really been uh, paying that much uh, attention to. So uh, yeah, I feel like I'm a little out on deep water trying to to give close comments uh, on on this. But uh, straight up, I'd, I'd go with a straight arm. Can you answer the rumors? about your bulking up to try to match what Bryson is doing? Is that true or is that just kind of me making stuff up? That's uh, not quite true. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 340 pounds already and I'm benching 600. That's why uh, I, I, need to, I need to slim down a little bit before I come out on tour. Um, no, I haven't gone down the same road as, as Bryson. I mean, he's made some, some huge efforts uh, 
he said he wanted to add huge efforts. Yeah, (laughs) he wanted to uh, add uh, a lot of distance and speed, and he's certainly done that. I mean, it's uh, some of the numbers I've seen before were were quite uh, amazing, and uh, I saw some of the some of the ones on on the telecast this last week here, and I think he had 187 miles per hour ball speed. I mean, that's that's roughly 20 more than. I get to low seventies with my driver, I'd say. So, I mean, that's gonna that's gonna make the golf course play shorter. And uh, as long as he can keep to, keep it on the fairway, which seems to be the case at Colonial, then he's gonna have a huge advantage. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Jim Corneliuson wants to know how many times have you changed putters in your entire career? I think as many times as I've uh, three putted. So very few. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, uh, I mean two two parts to the answer really. In in the later later years, later part of my career, I think I've used the same putter now for the last six years, more or less. Uh, certainly the same model. Uh, there, there might have been one or two changes throughout that time, but uh, uh, I, I mean, at the end of the day, if you if you're a good putter, you it, it's not going to be down to the putter. Uh, as long as you find a putter that you think is is the right length, the right balance, and the setup, and then you you like the the look of it, uh, if, if you get all those things matched in, and and you have that, it's not like you're going to change putter just because you had a bad putt or three putt somewhere. It's uh, uh, we can all appreciate the the kind of new feel that you get when you pick up a new putter, but if you're struggling with certain things, you're going to struggle with those uh, down the road whether or not you get a new putter. But I can certainly advise you to to look for a new putter if you're not liking what you're having. And Jeff, as you know, we've got loads of, loads of Odyssey putters um, that can be uh, shipped for a small fee to... Uh, to well, you uh, can to actually get... Here. Yeah, you can actually get free shipping if you order it. That's the great thing about it. You don't have to pay one cent for the actual shipping, handling, and packaging of the Odyssey putter. But the number seven that you use, it, it's such a, you know, I mean, that's, that's what Xander had yesterday. It's just such a cool shape. Um, I was going to just announce to you that I'm switching to the number seven just because I'm trying to be more like you. Yeah, good. Good for you. Uh, I'd say what I really like about that putter is the, it's got a thick top line, a square really square top line which to me makes it easy to set up the putter on the line you want to hit it and uh, everyone kind of uses slightly different uh, techniques I guess when you're aiming some might use the lines on the on the fangs in the back or you use the line on top of the putter or I tend to use the the front edge the leading edge more of the the putter I'd say uh, when I aim my putts but uh, something that's got a thicker top line I, I, I like myself and um, something that looks really square. I think that's that's the key for me. But uh, I've, I've switched putters over the years, but I, I think I wisely came to the conclusion at some point that um, it's not the putter really. It's, it's who holds it and what, what you do with it. So find one that's that's set up nicely for you and then practice harder than to than just buying a new putter, I'd say. All right, Bruce Love, last question here for Assey Iceman. Was the last putt at 18 at the Open the best putt you've ever made in your career? If not, what was? And did you realize in the moment the epic battle, see how you used epic in there, you were having with Phil? 
Well, the the putt on the 18th, I'd say that was uh, that was really the the icing on the cake. Uh, two of two of the most important and best putts to, to win that battle with Phil at uh, Trune in 16 was really the 20 footer I made for birdie on 14, and then that monster putt from just the edge of the green. I think it was 51 feet uh, on 15. So. If there's one part that I will will remember forever, it's that 51 footer that I made on 15 across the whole green. It was the perfect timing to go two ahead with three to play, um, and you know it's such a low percentage to make a putt from that distance and to do it when you need it and want it the most. That was uh, that is certainly the one that I will that I will remember forever. So I picked that one, and if I realized that, well, yeah, I I, I kind of knew that we were playing great golf uh, given how many birdies we were making but uh, I have to say I was so dialed in that when I'm sitting in the recording area and looking at I didn't even pay attention to making four birdies in the last five holes so I was certainly zoned in and I think this whole bonus of of having such a great battle for for the Open Championship there with Phil that that's really a added bonus that, that I could see afterwards um, rather than just uh, right in the middle of, of playing. Well, you know, maybe what we'll do is the week of our podcast uh, that would have been the Open Championship, maybe we'll watch the highlights together and you can kind of break us through that. I mean, what would be better than you telling us about you doing great? Yeah, because you wouldn't Because you wouldn't wear a mic. So this would be our chance. You would be mic'd up after the... Maybe you would agree to this. Maybe after the round, you'll agree to stay and, and talk about every shot. All right. If that makes you happy, I'll do that. Absolutely. Right. But uh, right. I don't know if it's going to be a fun podcast if, we, if we're watching live or we're watching recorded footage that no one else can see at the same time. I don't, I don't think that's going to fly. Yeah. Yet. We'll have to talk to our good friends uh, at uh, w- affiliated with the Open, with the RNA. Maybe they'll even let us use the video. So, I mean, you do own a Claret Jug. Maybe they'll make a exception of the rule for you. We're only trying to help promote the event. That was Ask the Iceman again. Each podcast. We will answer your questions. Uh, check out Henrik's channels on social media and Callaway's channels for the opportunity to ask the Iceman. Switching to our architectural moment of the week, um, you know, from Colonial, uh, obviously the the longest running, oldest consecutive golf course being used on the PGA Tour, to Harbortown. Pete Dye and one of Jack Nicklaus's, um, you know, first golf courses that he worked with Pete on, uh, but kind of a different, you know, take on architecture from the modern golf course, kind of give everyone kind of a, an architectural overview of Harbor Town. Then we're going to talk about the ninth hole and then 17 and 18. Yeah, it's a, it's a tournament that I haven't played that many times. I think I played it twice, uh, didn't do particularly good. Uh, it's normally scheduled to be the week after the Masters. So uh, for me personally, it's always been a big, lead up run up to the masters and then the week after i feel like i've I've given it my best at augusta so i don't necessarily like to play the week after but uh, it's a it's a gorgeous place uh, in south carolina on the ocean uh, playing a a smallish golf course tree-lined it's certainly not a not a course uh, where you feel like you would bomb it off the tee that much it's positional play uh, a lot of times you got to look at uh, it's small greens. You got trees guarding some of the angles and some of the greens. So 
is not enough even to, to hit a two-run on the fairway. Sometimes you've got to be on the right side of the fairway to, to be able to attack and, and find an angle into the, into the green and the hole. So it's, it's very much a, a golf course where you position yourself off the tee and then probably leaves a lot of shots between six iron and, and wedge into the greens, uh, smallish greens, like I said. And, and it's certainly a good course to be on with your striking. Yeah, so let's go through some of the keyholes. Let's start with the ninth hole. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a very short par four, uh, very much a drivable par four. Um, I I always like a drivable par four. I think every golf course should have one. And uh, the ninth here is is really short, uh, and and you're going to see a lot of different strategies because you can hit anything from a seven iron off the tee. Uh, to to driver and three woods depending on where the pin is and and the wind and what you're trying to do so uh, I think it's just an interesting hole in that sense and and you can again with the small greens and the pin positions you can be pretty close to the hole and and you still be in a really bad spot so you you gotta roll the dice a little bit if you if you go for it and uh, make sure that you at least give yourself a, an angle if you if you do miss it a little bit and uh, I think it's just one of those where, where a lot of interesting things can happen even though the hole is probably only 320 or something. Yeah, 313 and what I love about this green, it it warms my heart because it's a heart-shaped green. Hmm. Yeah, you got that in there too. Yeah, you got sand in front, sand in back and then let's go to uh, two of my favorite holes on the golf course because obviously um, you can't win the championship there without finishing those two 17 they listed as only 163 yards but you're playing right into the wind and you're looking the first time you're really seeing calabogie sound in a while yeah you play most of the uh or the the first 16 holes your your three lines uh, these small pine trees and uh, and you're really not seeing much of the ocean and then of 17 and 18 you're coming right back out so out of the uh, out of the trees, and uh, the wind is certainly more exposed. And um, yeah, it's, some, it's a tricky finishing, uh, tricky finish to the golf course. And if you need to make a couple of parts there to to win the tournament, uh, there's certainly plenty of opportunities that to, to go wrong. And uh, you got to hit solid iron shot on on 17. Uh, a lot of times into the wind or in off the right, I guess. And and then on 18. You either got crosswind from the left-hand side or into off the left as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a strong finish to the golf course. Yeah, 18, 460 yards. And I love the lighthouse. I mean, that's the – I just think no matter what, that you just aim at the lighthouse and, and try to get it in the middle of that green, right? Yeah, it's uh, – anyone who's followed this event here at, at Harbour Town have seen uh, the players down on the beach and uh, – yeah, anything going left there, you you potentially in in, in big trouble. So uh, it's, it's certainly not an easy one to uh, to hit. Uh, you, you have the 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 fairway kind of stops after about three hundred yards, I'd say something like that too. So you, it's not always you can stretch out off the tee. You got to lay up a little bit. Uh, certainly, if it's not playing that long, so then. Uh, you you kind of standing back and with a with a mid to long iron at times and, and it's a pretty small target so uh, yeah it's got your full attention and uh, and certainly puts your your skill to the test. 
Yeah, I remember when Brendan Grace won. Uh, he he just absolutely annihilated a driver, uh, put it right in the perfect spot of that neck, put it in the middle of the green. Um, it, it's just such a such a unique spot. The other thing that'll be nice is in this world of no fans at, at golf tournaments, there are going to be tons of fans out in the sound on their boats and stuff. You know, there'll be you know some partying going on out there, so it'll feel a little bit more uh, like like a normal um, you know, whatever normal is anymore, right? Tour event. Yeah, and uh, I think you got uh, a fair amount of condos down there or houses around you do. on 18 down the right-hand side and all around the golf course, really. So I'm sure you're going to see more more people than than, than you would at Colonial. So uh, I'm sure yeah, the atmosphere Col- is going to be a little, bit, uh, a little bit more lively. It was kind of funny. There was one house, I believe on 15, where they built uh, a grandstand in the front yard and they had tons of people and they're watching. And it was like the one time on the golf course that you got to hear uh, kind of fans, which was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, could, I could hear some of the uh, some of the shouting when, when the guys were on 16 tee box. I think when they walked off, I yeah. could hear, hear some reactions there. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out at, uh, in Hilton Head. All right, a couple more things we want to cover. Uh, in our almost an hour with you, because if I go over an hour, I'm pretty sure you just hang up on me. Um, mental game, something we want to try to touch on, and and we saw a little bit of it this week. Uh, the the CBS announcers were referring to it um, frequently. Um, you know, what's the difference between a 21 year old who up until now hadn't really seen a lot of putts not go in versus a veteran who who may or may not have have through the the annals of golf lived both the ups and the downs. Is it easier to play under pressure as, as someone young who doesn't know what they're getting into or as a veteran who has the experience? Yeah, I think it can, it it depends so much on the individual, but uh, there's certainly, uh, you can argue a case for, for both, uh, for both ends here. It's uh, when, when you coming out on tour uh, young and you're fearless and, and you don't have any, uh, mental garbage in or mental baggage with you uh, of any missed putts or uh, missed shots at the wrong time and 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 all of that. Yeah, it, it might be easier to agree to play freer, but uh, on the same notes, when you when you're more experienced, you've you you lived through the, the the ups and downs and made mistakes, and I think you. You might have a little bit of an advantage sometimes then to to know when to hold back and uh, let someone else make a mistake instead. So um, yeah, it's it's uh, again fifty fifty. I feel like I'm I'm not really hanging my neck out here too much to uh, to give you a, no, you a clear no clear answer in one one direction or the other. But uh, given that I'm forty four, I have to go with the experience. I think. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because yeah, if you man. said if you said it's easier as a twenty one year old, then you know what's going to happen. The next time you're competing with someone of these young guns, they're going to look at you and say, "Like, hey, I listened to your podcast, and you said I have an advantage over you." And then you're going to be all upset, <laughs> and then you're going to tell the, the 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 bag to turn the mic off, and the whole. And then you're going to blame me for this. So I'm glad you picked. Yeah, no, no, just just wait. Uh, it, you'll have the blame for everything eventually. I'm noticing a theme. I'm noticing a theme. All right. One thing I can't get the blame for is this day in obscure Henrik Stenson history. It's one of my favorite parts of the show because I just make it up. Um, The first time, I think today, uh, is the anniversary of the first time you broke something on the golf course as a teenager. Now, I remember a couple years ago, you were having a problem with your computer. I won't say the name and make or brand because I don't want to get 
them upset with us. And your solution to the computer not working was potentially breaking it and then getting a new computer. Uh, can you tell us about the first time you broke something on the golf course as a teenager? Because I believe that was uh, 30 something years ago today or 20 something years there's, ago. There's good and bad ways, uh, obviously. And I have to say to my defense, though, that that DVD uh, film, uh, mm-hmm. eventually I got it out of the computer. The computer oh, didn't work afterwards, but I got the movie out. So at least Excellent. one of the problems, <laughs> one of the problems were solved. But uh, let's not talk more about that one. Um, believe it or not, because I'm, I'm known to have a bit of a temper and it's not always something that we're proud of, but uh, it's kind of been in, in my DNA. I think it's uh, to a big part. It's, it's taken me to where I've, where I may managed to get to. Uh, that drive and that fire, uh, but this uh, this story as a as a teenager, I actually managed to break two car windows, not just one, but two. Really, and it was not in anger, believe oh. it or not. Then, so I had just this is just way back in the day, and I started playing with persimmon woods when I started playing. That's how old I am, and I'm older uh, than you, so. yeah, you you were probably making them. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I just ordered some new uh, metal woods, but I only got the driver, and the three wood and five wood hadn't arrived yet. But I'm out playing, and this is really long par four, and I decide to go with the three uh, instead of the three wood that I didn't have. I decide to go with the driver off the deck, and I hit this low, ugly fade out of bounds and straight through the back of the a parked car next to Summer House. So that didn't turn out too well. And then the following spring is very early in the season and I'm super keen on getting out there and practicing and playing again. And I'm at the practice area and it's still frozen. The ground is still frozen. And I hit the sand iron and, and it hits a, a frozen patch and I shank the absolute shit out of it. And it comes up onto this roof next to the driving range. There was a small house and it trickles down the roof and straight through the back of, of the owner's parked car that was next to the house. So I guess uh, I managed to break two car windows right in the beginning of my career. I don't think I've hit too many cars since, but it was straight out of the, uh, out of the block. I managed to, to finish off two cars. So uh, we'll, we'll say just for good measure that that first car that I hit was on this exact day 32 years ago. Wow. Who knew the research department would uh, would pay off on uh, this obscure day in Henrik Stenson history? All right, one more thing we want to get to before we wrap this up. And this is probably my favorite segment of the show, a tour story. So last time you gave an amazing tour story. If you haven't listened to episode one, go back. It involved uh, a railway, a bathroom, a, a poor purchase, and just a complete embarrassing situation. But you didn't name names. So my, my critique um, of this is, is we said we were going to name names, so let's do it. You got to give me a great tour story, but you got to tell us who's attached to it. Yeah, I will do. And uh, uh, while I'm on this, gentleman, I, I actually decided to, to tell you two shorter stories, uh, and they both involved Tony Johnston, a Zimbabwean player. Played many, many years on, on the European tour. He does commentary now um, on, on the broadcast. Uh, lovely man and uh, funny and uh, very feisty as well. Uh, he, he could have his anger moments. And uh, he's playing down in, in uh, France. 
long time ago, and he hooks this tee shot on a par five into the trees, and he's not happy with himself, and he goes in there, and you hear some swearing and this and that, and he hits it, and he doesn't make it out, and he hits it again, and it comes flying across the fairway, and there's this tiny little fir tree planted on the other side of the uh, in the other rough, and the ball goes right up behind it and his two playing partners they see this and he comes up where's the ball and and they don't even dare to tell him that he's stymied behind this other tree now after hitting two in the trees on the left side already so they're just pointing in in the general direction and say i think it's towards that tree and they knew they knew he was in a bad way so he goes up there and then he chips it out again and he just starts demolishing this little christmas tree and it's branches and twigs, it's flying everywhere. And he's wearing this thick sweater and he's getting really warm, really hot. So he stops and he takes off his sweater, his jumper, folds it nicely, hands it to the caddy, and then just goes back to demolishing this tree again and just carrying on until there was nothing left, apparently. So that was one of his angry moments. The uh, The other story that involves Tony is he's playing at, at Valderrama and he's playing with, uh, with Seve Ballesteros, the legend. And Seve, you know, great competitor, the finest uh, out of Europe, you'd have to say. And, uh, but also he was, I think he, he, if he could get a drop, he, he, he was asking for it. And oh yeah, they both hit it up on the second of Valderrama. It's a big, uh, cork tree a big oak in the middle of the fairway and they're coming up and there's one ball right behind the tree and one ball is is fine to play underneath the tree and tony walks up to the ball and he, and he says to he, he shouts over to seven he says well if i stand like this with my wide stance i think there's a, there's a sprinkler head here and seven says no tony it's it's, it's way too far uh, that's not your normal stance and then he says, uh, well, if I stand like this, I think there's, there's a rabbit hole here that I got my foot in and, and I can't really, can't really stand properly. And he says, no, sorry, Tony, it's, uh, you know, that's not how you should stand to the ball. So you, you, can't, you can't get a drop. And he says, so there's no way I can get a drop. And Seve says, no, sorry, I have to play it. And he says, fine, because it's your ball. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Sevi was so, known for that right Sevi was known for that and the gamesmanship yeah. like I always remember just kind of the coins in the pocket that maybe get rattling kind of right as you're about to do something yeah I mean I, I loved uh, it I don't know all the all the stories but I thought this one was funny and especially being a Valderrama because I remember yeah. Sevi having a long long discussion with John Paramo years ago about some some animal or some droppings or whatever that was in, interfering with his ball, and I don't think he got the the relief no. from from John in the end. But uh, you know, uh, all fairness, you 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 ask for for a ruling and and you try and get it. But uh, on this instance here, it was it was kind of funny that Tony probably knew that Sevi was gonna gonna ask for for uh, for a relief uh, if he could get it and and uh, kind of determined beforehand that there was no relief to be given and then he told him that it was his ball and not his amazing amazing uh, well, you need to you need to use that strategy out on tour because probably a lot of folks haven't heard that story or remembered it even though now you just gave it away on the podcast but that's a definitely a good see one. that that's a good stuff we'll give away here 
I know. All right, Henrik. Well, that is going to wrap up our almost an hour podcast. Uh, we did pretty good. We kept it under an hour because I know, uh, again, I'll start pushing you more and more towards this hour as we go further and further, as you'll get more and more agitated with me. But I, I would be remiss to end the podcast without asking for the Swedish word of the week. I'm kind of thinking it could be maybe Father's Day related because this is kind of a weird week for us because normally we would both, uh, both of us would have been at, at Wingfoot for different reasons uh, with the U.S. Open originally scheduled this week, now September 17th through 20th, which will be a different experience for sure. So give me a little bit of Swedish knowledge potentially related to Father's Day. Uh, related to Father's Day, uh, I mean, most... Most of us like to, to eat, and uh, I presume you don't want to try and say seven C six seamen because no. that's kind of a yeah. I don't. I think we'll wait for that one a little bit. Uh, um, waffles. You want to say waffles oh, in Swedish? Sure, I'd love to learn how to say waffles in Swedish. Fun fact: I'm taking my kids uh, for waffles on uh, on Father's Day here on Sunday. Perfect. Then you're gonna say etta. Wafflor. Erta wafflor. Yeah, wafflor. That's waffles. Wafflor. That was, that right. was good. Yeah, wafflor. Wafflor. So you can, All right. yeah. Plus, the other you thing is, if, if, I, if I have to go get uh, the muffler repaired on my car, I could, I could end up with waffles. <laughs> kind of sounds like muffler a little bit. All right. <laughs> Enjoy Henderson's the waffles. Week. I will. I will. We're going to do this every other week. Going to come out on Thursdays. It's the best way to kick off your golf tournament weekend almost an hour podcast with henrik stenson super excited to be doing this with you every other week please rate review subscribe we want to keep our perfect ratings and i will see you in two weeks with yet another update as you're getting closer and closer to returning to uh to, to the big stages on the pga tour absolutely will do thanks for today and uh, enjoy father's day